0: Welcome to the All Things Data podcast, Ask a Pro edition. Today we've got Bar Moses from Monte Carlo, and she's the CEO and founder of the company. We'd love to love to hear a little bit more about your story,
1: Bar. Fantastic to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about the origin story? I'd love to to love to hear to, you know where you started and then how you got to starting and running a, a data company.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's see. Um, I am originally from Israel, so I was born and raised, um, uh, actually on a, in a university campus called the Whiteson Institute of Science. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, and grew up, so my dad, uh, is a physics professor and oh, my mom, nice. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got to spend, I got to, ha- out to hang out at his lab a lot. You get to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually created my own lab, like blew things up and, you know, my mom would get pissed off, so, oh, um, my god, that was fun. Um and uh and my mom is actually uh she still is, um, a dance and meditation teacher actually. Oh. So um very different uh worlds uh, kind of have both growing up, I thought was um y- you know was, was very unique. Mm-hmm. Um and uh definitely gave me sort of different perspectives uh growing up. Um and so uh yeah, I was um I started my career actually in the Israeli Air Force. So I was drafted um, to, to the uh, Israeli military, um, uh, mm-hmm. having you know being grown up in Israel, um, and um, you know at, at a very young age, I had you know sort of a lot of uh, responsibility, um, uh, and worked uh, actually was a commander of a data analyst team.
0: When you enroll into IDF, do mm-hmm. they do they assign you? I've heard stories of like assignment and stuff, and you know some friends who have served there, but do you get to choose Air Force? Army, Navy, or whatever? Or do they just tell you straight to go there?
1: Yeah. So what happens is you actually go through some very rigorous qualification. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, It can be actually several months of tests Mm -hmm. um, and can include, you know, different, uh, both physical and and just kind of like written tests and verbal tests as well. Um, So it's a whole sort of slew of tests. There's actually a lot that has been written about the algorithm and the decision-making process there. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not quite privy to it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I knew I wanted to be in an intelligence unit. and was really excited about doing um, sort of the intelligence work in the Israeli Air Force in particular. Uh, So I was really happy when sort of landed there. I actually initially wanted to be uh, an Air Force pilot. Uh, That didn't work out. Uh, maybe someday. <laughs>
0: no, I don't think people want to join the air force to not be a pilot. Initially. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, definitely, you know, learn a ton from that experience. Like I think, you know, having, being at such a young age, having such an opportunity for impact, uh, was very meaningful and, you know, working with sort of young bright people, you know, one of the, the most fun sort of things and, and rewarding things at mm-hmm. an early age. So that kind of marked the, the beginning of my, um, my career, uh, later, How did you?
0: Yeah. I have a, have a question, a couple questions about yeah. IDF, though. So, like, well, obviously, the things you can talk about. How did IDF shape your thinking in terms of in terms of data? Like, you were playing in the intelligence side of things. Like, did you kind of come in with a certain perspective and leave with a different one, or did you, you know, like, what kind of skills did you learn while you were there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that you know the the sort of training and and rigorous process of. You know, learning diligence and grit is probably one of the things, sort of the key things that I you know, was left mm-hmm. with. Um, you know, I think it's, it's very intense, right? So you are, you know, you're not at home for, for many days and you're really sort of solely focused on the mission at hand. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you, you obviously sort of train very hard and work with a very motivated group of people mm-hmm. um, to save lives, right? And so I think at a young age, I really learned about, about sort of the importance of grit, the importance of, uh, you know, working, working diligently to meet tight deadlines um, and how to do that with a group of people who does not have a ton of experience and not have a ton of training and yet is incredibly motivated to over-deliver um, and to make a huge impact. And right, it's just amazing right. how, much, um, how much you can accomplish and what you can do. I think that's what, honestly, one of some of the things that like inspired me to start a startup later. Um, because if you think about it, it's sort of a group of people that's very sort of motivated to make a big impact in the world, even if you're not sort of experiencing the particular thing that, you've, that you're doing right now.
0: That's right. And well, I mean, that's why Israel has like a disproportionate amount of startups coming out of it right. to its population, right?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. Israel is like dubbed as sort of startup nation, right? I think it has like the highest um, per capita startup per capita. Yeah. Um, you know, top definitely in the top five. I don't remember the, the number off the top of my head, but um, uh, you know, definitely uh, high up there. For sure. So that was you know sort of growing up in Israel. Um, actually, after that, uh, backpacks in South America for. For a little over a little under a year, um, which was a lot of fun as well, and then moved to the Bay Area. Um, nice. So uh, yeah, came over here to to study math and stats at Stanford. Actually, thought that I was going to stay in academia, follow the footsteps of my dad. It didn't work out. I had to fail him in some way. This was my big uh, fail my dad moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> And actually um, joined, uh, after that, joined Bain Bain company um, as a a management consultant, worked there, um, but on sort of a bunch of different uh, topics among them, worked with private equity kind of to support Mm -hmm. M&A deals on a very short timeline, worked intensively with the data science organization there to leverage sort of data and insights to help Fortune 500 companies make decisions for their strategy based on data. Um, Really love that work, Um, super impactful, you know, and very, very variable. So could work with, you know, um, semiconductor companies that want to like enter the IoT market, you know, all the way to, you know, a food chain that wants to make decisions about their menu, for example. I think the cool thing about that work was, or the thing that I enjoyed the most was in a very short amount of time, you have to learn a lot about a new industry, collect a lot of data about it. The data doesn't always exist. That's right. Um, but you have to collect whatever you have, and then make some strong business decisions about that. Right. Um, That's right. And oftentimes, these strategies, like based on based on actually not that much data, which is uh, interesting.
0: Yeah, it's never going to be complete, right? And it's you know the mm-hmm. Colin Powell thing. It's like you only need about seventy percent of the data to make the decision. Anything else is too much. And yeah. To
1: real,
0: you know, so it it, yeah. it does make sense.
1: Yeah, I love that quote. Um, exactly, and so. You know, I think working with people who had a lot of experience making decisions with limited information um, was very kind of interesting. And um, also help, you know, figure out how to, how to make decisions about, you know, function, different function areas in the business um, mm-hmm. without actually having done them uh, before. Um, so that, that was, uh, uh, you know, really sort of interesting to see kind of the, the power of, of data, but also strategy mm-hmm. um, to drive business decisions. Um, yeah, and so after that, um, I joined Gainsight. Um, I was fortunate nice. to join them. Yeah, so Gainsight is a customer success platform.
0: Yeah, they're still around and they're like, they're crushing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Great. They actually created the customer success category, which is really cool. <laughs> um, you know, Category
0: creators, you never yeah. not want to be there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's amazing.
1: Um, yeah, and you know, I remember joining... Uh, or kind of remember talking to them at, at, before joining and I was like, yeah, you know, they were like, we're creating a customer success category. And I was like, what is that category? Um, <laughs> right? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, but the more that I kind of, you know, spoke with them and understood, actually a thesis that was very aligned with what I believed in the world, which is um, uh, companies collect more and more data. Companies work, um, you know, harder to make, need to work harder uh, to make their customers happier because of the subscription economy mm-hmm. um, and because of that uh, you need to make sure that you understand their business and understand how you can um, you know basically renew and expand um, with your customers um, that's right because they are sort of the engine of your growth um, and customer success is really a company-wide thing it's no longer just a specific function
0: yeah it's not just a call center or something
1: exactly exactly like gone are the days that it's just a kind of call center that's right um, and- And how
0: did that, how did your, um, you know, time at Gainsight kind of shape your thinking about, you know, company operations and like running a company? Was that, you know, kind of, do you see like a direct line into Monte Carlo of like, you know, now that I've seen what customer success is, like there's a lot of those principles, you know, at Monte Carlo?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Um, you know, I feel like being a part of that movement ingrain customer success in me. Mm -hmm. I also saw sort of amazing examples of of folks and and leaders at Gainsight exemplifying customer success day in and day out. Like If you think about it, if you are the customer success company, you have to become the best at it. And so (laughs) so every single function had to be the best at customer success, whether you Mm -hmm. are product or support or um, engineering or marketing or customer Mm -hmm. success, you have to have Customer success as sort of your north star, um, mm-hmm. and we worked hard to make that happen. And you know, I really applaud kind of the um, uh, sort of the leadership at, at Gainsight for for really um, you know spearheading that both internally and externally. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, I mean, we've you know we've seen tremendous growth at Gainsight. Um, uh, they're still uh, doing really well, and um, you know, on on sort of the operations of growing a company. Um, you know, I sort of, I was fortunate to, to lead a number of different teams at Gainsight varying from, uh, support team, professional services team, um, customer success, customer marketing, um, the analytics team. So Mm -hmm. definitely got a lot of operational experience with, um, with kind of a variety of them with Mm -hmm. customer success being the true North. And I think at, at Monte Carlo today, it's actually sort of one of our, our key values. And, um, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, we're here because, and for our customers, there's nothing that's more important to us.
0: Right. Well, they're paying the bills, right? There's companies that kind of have these transactional relationships with mm-hmm. customers. I mean, B2C or B2B, right? Like mm-hmm. a customer is still a person, you know, like when you're dealing with a company, you're you're still dealing with people and yeah. customer success is such like a it's such an interesting lens to use it's, i don't even think it's an interesting lens i think it's table stakes now mm-hmm. you know the companies that are the companies that are really you know putting that customer first versus solution first i mean mm-hmm. i you know i don't want to say this but maybe I, i'm still going to say it i mean mm-hmm. solutions are a dime a dozen there's competitors everywhere i mean in the data space how many data platforms are there you know how many uh, data you know, data technology or data solutions to solve the same problems. There's hundreds, you know, and right. thousands. And, you know, w- what are the things that differentiate companies from each other? And I mean, product is there, but at the end of the day, it's still, it's the experience, right?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. I would say, you know, I, it's not just table stakes. Um, well, for, for many companies, it's definitely table stakes. But to your point, companies that are leveraging it actually as a competitive advantage are those that are doing the best at that, right? That's right. Um, so if you can actually use that as a superpower as a company, um, you can use that against your competition or just to get ahead in the market. Um, That's right. And it's, it, yeah. it's
0: so interesting because it's like the the fact that it's it's almost expected in a way. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a maybe 10 years ago, not so much. Right. right, but and today
1: it seems obvious
0: it seems obvious and right. and the other thing too is is like just the the fact of this generation of digital users or you know the digital natives that are mm-hmm. that are among us these days um they there's a certain level of expectation and customer service and customer centricity that needs to be around, and like the companies that aren't doing that, you can see it very quickly, and people leave
1: right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: These are the, like the HubSpots of the world. Like, I mean, we just, we just moved to HubSpot semi-recently, but their customer success team is unreal. Like call them anytime they have someone on the phone. You're not, you know, they have someone on the phone getting you solutions right away. And there's no waiting. There's no like waiting on the phone for like 45 minutes. There's no, you know, it's just get it done. And it's, it's unreal. And like, why would, why would we want to (laughs) leave?
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love um, the team at HubSpot. They also have a stellar data team. So actually. good, right? Um, yeah, and, and funnily enough, they um, they created an amazing jingle about data downtime for us. <laughs> um, I have to share it with you. It's just phenomenal. Um, oh
0: God. Yes, share it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna pop it in the end of this episode.
1: Please do. Yes, um, I am in awe of the HubSpot team. They are amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your, to, oh, go ahead. No,
0: go ahead. No, no, go for it.
1: I just want to take to, to your point. You know, um, customer success did not seem obvious five to ten years ago, but today mm-hmm. it's really like okay, of course, of course, this is a competitive advantage and something that matters. The other mm-hmm. non-obvious thing that happened was that actually customer success became data-driven. Um, and ten years, five to ten years ago, it was way more relationship-driven. I think today folks are a lot um, mm-hmm. are a lot more quantitative about it, and I think that's another interesting sort of trend that that we saw.
0: Oh, that's interesting, and you know, just kind of to continuing this customer success deal. It feels it feels it feels right to talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But do you do you find that um, there's almost different as a founder now? Like, do you find that there's different metrics that companies are being run off of now because of um, customer success centricity, you know, you know, before, I mean, it's all PL based, but now you kind of have these like retention metrics, you know, right. first call resolutions, you have, you know, like NPS, like playing in more things mm-hmm. like that. Right. Like, do you feel that that that's more front and center now?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, all those metrics that you, that you spoke about right now, both sort of, or you kind of would consider them as, um, kind of leading indicators, right, for revenue. So how how your how happy are your customers now, and that's sort of reflected in in NPS or other surveys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that is a, that is probably one of the indications of whether they will renew with you or not, right. Um, right. Other metrics are how often are they using your product, right, mm-hmm. um, and what are they doing with it, and what kind of value are they seeing from it. Um, are, are you know so so both kind of the The depth and breadth of engagement with your product um, Mm. and NPS, and um, also the number of support tickets, right? So, for example, yeah, I remember one of the sort of interesting insights that we found is that there's sort of two two kind of red flags. Um, One is if there's too many support tickets, that's, um, you know, that could be an indication of a customer that's struggling. But then the other mm-hmm. indication, red flag could be if there's no support tickets at all, <laughs> zero. <laughs>
0: Nobody's using your product.
1: Exactly. Nobody's using their product. So there's, there's nothing to ask about. That's also a red flag. So there's actually really interesting insights that you can draw out of the data that we can collect today because we have so many you know, new ways to collect and measure mm-hmm. customer um, success and, and to collect and store that um, that it actually, we can get more sophisticated in understanding our customers and, and when they need help and, and when they're doing really well.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And how do you guys use that at Monte Carlo?
1: Great question. So um, at Monte Carlo, as I mentioned- Wait, like, wait,
0: actually, wait. What is Monte Carlo? Why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that first?
1: <laughs> we can just skip that part. Yeah, no, I'm That's kidding. right. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, So Monte Carlo is a data reliability company. Um, I I can explain a little bit about why we actually started the company, sort of how that relates to to my work at Gainsight, actually. Um, So yeah, I mean, sort of throughout my career, I kind of work with with companies on helping them become data-driven in one form or another, right? Whether it's to use it for a strategic decision or to use data for customer success. Um, And one of the things that really struck me is that companies really want to become data-driven um, and put a lot of work into it. And there's, you know, amazing um, uh, you know, sort of uh, companies that have emerged to support making this easier. Um, you know, folks like Snowflake that just IPO'd, mm-hmm. um, companies like FiveTran, um, and many others, many other companies out there that um, help make it easier to become data driven.
0: Right. One
1: of the things that um, I struggle with personally, both at GainSight and I notice that my customers struggle with too is our ability to actually um, trust the data and actually know like, okay, we're able to collect it. We're able to process it. We're able to you know, show it in a report, uh, but how do we know that it's accurate? How do I know that it's reliable? How do I know where mm-hmm. it came from? What source is this? When was the source updated? Um, you know, did, did all the different parts of the data make their way on time? Um, mm-hmm. Has all of the data arrived? Um, and that was a question that came up again and again, So true. Um,
0: Like lineage is such an important, important piece that a lot of people talk about, but it's so, so important.
1: Exactly. Um, it's, it's lineage for one is, you know, one thing that I see many companies spend a lot of time mapping manually, right? Like literally creating flow charts. Ouch. Yeah. I I mean, I did that too, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We all, I think we all have.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and It becomes even more important when you're actually using the data for real-time decisions, right? Um, So I remember at Gainsight, there was a period when we were becoming really data-driven as a company. And, you know, we would use across the company sort of uh, more and more data to make decisions. And I remember there was a period of time when, you know, the more that we were trying to become data-driven, the more errors and issues that we found in the data, Mm-hmm. Um and it was really hard to know. It's kind of like a game of walk We were like, where where's the problem now in, in this chain of data? And so actually we we did exactly what you said. Like we got into a room and we like manually like mapped out the different stages of our data and how it works through. Um, and then started like tracking each of those pieces and making sure that that each is reliable and, and accurate. But there were really no solutions to do that. And I you know, I was thinking about this, I was like, man, we gotta be crazy to be doing this you know, in, 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 you know, 2000 something um, doing this in a manual way, not being able to to have reliable data Um, and also saw how hard it is for data teams that, that I worked with. Um, And I actually interviewed over hundreds of of data teams to ask them like, what's keeping you up at night? Um, And this thing came up again and again, the problem of how can I trust the data? How can I know that it's reliable? Um, And so kind of inspired by you know, a desire to make this easier for, for data teams. And, and, you know, also inspired by sort of a world that I believe in, in which we need to be able to use accurate data, Mm -hmm. um, which seems honestly, if I go back to the customer success example, a little bit, kind of seems like table stakes, right? Like today you're sort of like, Hey, we, you know, this is kind of something that we need to have. And yet, um, we don't. Um, and so inspired by that, um, decided to, to start Monte Carlo, um, and sort of how we, we think about our work is helping enterprises sort of increase trust in their data by reducing what we call data downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we coined the term data downtime uh, sort of as a corollary for application downtime mm-hmm. um, and sort of as a way to start thinking about how do we, how do we deal with this problem. And so if you think about application downtime, you know, a couple of decades ago, I don't know if you had a website back then. If your if your company had a website, uh, but if you did, like twenty years ago, <laughs> probably no one was no one was kind of looking at your website, or right? if it was yeah. down, it wasn't a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but today that's sort of unheard of, right? You you can't afford having your your applications down. Um, that's right.
0: Well, and every everyone's measurement. Like I used to work in like high availability, high availability, uh, the high availability space, and. You know, you're like nine nine point nine 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 of time. <laughs> Every like minimum, you have to be in the ninety nines, right? you know, yeah, like there's exactly. no
1: <laughs> minimum.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Um yeah, and and today it's kind of crazy if you don't have that, right? Um I think the same thing is happening in data. So, you know, today or a couple of years ago, maybe you could afford some mistakes in your data and some inaccuracies, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's gonna cut it anymore. We're gonna get to a point where we're gonna mm-hmm. need Ninety nine point nine 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 availability and accuracy and reliability That's right. of data. That's you know. Right. Um, well, I mean, how
0: do you even like? It's it's scary now that, you know now that you bring that up. It's how do you even measure that?
1: Yeah. Great right. Question.
0: So if you don't even know, then you know, you, I guess you can turn a blind eye. But that could be affecting a lot of your decision making based on bad data or bad you know unreliable data, anyways.
1: That's right, exactly, and we're seeing some really timely examples of this. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen, but um, you know I think the IRS accidentally mailed one point um, four billion dollars of um, stimulus checks to dead people um, uh, as a result <laughs> of a table that was out of date you know um, so or that
0: or was that um Excel. Did you hear about that thing in the UK where yeah. uh, they hit the Excel row limit on uh, COVID tests? So there were people that were not getting their COVID tests mailed back.
1: Right. There back were sixteen thousand people that were yeah, missed. Yeah. Yeah. This was it's like crazy. in England. Yeah. Public health England, I think. Um, exactly. So that um, those are real, material, significantly um, impactful examples of how ba- bad data is is shaping our life, right? Um, I don't think we're going to be able to... The reality in which we live in, it's not going to work out anymore. Um, to, and we're going to need to develop, as an industry, we're going to need to develop methodologies to measure this and mm-hmm. to improve it in the same way that engineering has been doing this with DevOps um, and you know high availability. Um, we need to do the same thing um, uh, in the data industry. And so... That's what Monte Carlo is all about—helping um, organizations um, understand data downtime and ultimately eliminate it, so that they mm-hmm. have confidence in the decisions that they're making and that they're making the right decisions. Um, so that's uh, that's what we're all about. You know, we're named after the the simulation, um, mm-hmm. uh, not the destination, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was named
0: after the named after the destination. So you're like one step away, exactly
1: one step away. Um, but, um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, we sort of work with, with enterprise on exactly that question. Like, how do I, um, uh, measure and improve data downtime? Um, and there's a couple of different sort of pieces that go into that, but one of them is actually just start, starting to track, like how many data downtime incidents do you have? What's your time mm-hmm. to detection of an incident? Um, can what's you, the can you give incident? an
0: example of what data downtime or a data downtime metric would be?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, one of the ways to start thinking about what data downtime is is to actually like start looking at specific examples. Um, and data downtime can happen for many different reasons. It can happen because um, you have you know you're adding many different data sources and they keep on changing and you're changing the structure of your data. And maybe someone makes a change kind of to the website somewhere upstream, and that has downstream implications on a report that your marketing team is using. Um, and you sort of were unaware of that disconnect, um, an example that we see all the time. Um, that's one example. Another example is, um, you know, if you, uh, have a third party data source that you kind of rely on and, you know, data, um, hasn't arrived at all. And that sort of goes unnoticed. Right. Right. Um,
0: so true. Happens so many times you run a job and it doesn't finish. And then the data that was supposed to be in a spot for the, to get ingested does not happen. And then the engineering team gets told, but then the data team doesn't. And then you're like, ah.
1: Exactly. That's if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, the customer down, you know, it's a customer that calls customer support and says, why, why does the report look weird? Or why does the data on your website look wrong? Right. That's right. Everyone into a, to a loop. Um, So yeah. Why can't we live in a world where we are the first to know about data breaking? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so, you know, there's very many different reasons for why data can break, but there's also very many different reasons for why applications can break. Kind of building on that corollary again of application downtime, That's right. um, and what what has been developed in sort of the DevOps and engineering world is sort of the methodology of um, observability. And observability basically is a concept that says your applications can break for many different reasons. However, there's a consistent way to understand the health. Of your application, a consistent way to create visibility into that by tracking sort of this coherent set of metrics. Um, and if you look at these metrics, you can manage your availability um, sort of in a standard way. Mm-hmm. And so when we came to think about how do we tackle the data downtime problem, we thought about it in the same lines. Okay, so data downtime data down can happen for many different reasons. Can we create a methodology around data observability that will help us understand the health of our data with a coherent set of metrics? Um, and so we came up with sort of five pillars of data observability, um, lineage is one of them, by the way. Um, the four other is, um, freshness, uh, which is kind of everything around sort of the, you know, whether the data is up to date, um, Mm -hmm. kind of some of the examples that we mentioned, um, volume. So sort of the, the volume of the data itself, is it arriving, um, schema sort of around the shape of the data? Um, you know, if you're sort of changing fields or tables or, um, um, you know, making changes to, to the structure, right. um, and then last one is distribution. So if you actually look at the values of the fields themselves, like you know, let's Got say it. you know, you kind of expect the values to be in a certain range, and they're like
0: between rate. one and a thousand, and then something shows up as five million, and you're like, what?
1: <laughs> exactly, is... exactly. Um, yeah. So so these sort of five pillars together um, help bring this understanding or sort of this this view into your data. And we think that if you sort of systematically track these, measure these, um, monitor mm-hmm. them, um, and improve them, then you can not only know about data downtime, but actually eliminate it to begin with.
0: Right. So it's, yeah, this this kind of goes right into like network monitoring, application monitoring, server monitoring, and now it's data monitoring.
1: Exactly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, we've figured out a lot of stuff in data. We've figured out how to collect data and store and process and transform it. And I think now mm-hmm. we're, we're figuring out how to observe it, how to make sure that we can, we can monitor and actually make good use of it.
0: Oh, that makes complete sense. And that, that's such a congrats. <laughs> that's so that's much needed, much needed. There's uh Oh my God. I'm just thinking of like all the times that, you know, you're thinking about reports or you're thinking about your models and then you're just like, how come this is off, you know? Yeah. And then, you don't have that documentation or you don't have like, you know, it's so manual when you're doing this stuff. I remember, um, you know, building out just pipelines and looking and troubleshooting reports and stuff. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. is it here? (laughs) Is it (laughs) there? (laughs) Where did it mess up? And then, you know, so this is that that's, Oh, thank you.
1: (laughs) No, I, I mean, I'm totally with you. You're like, Am I crazy? Are you crazy? Is the world like what is going on here? Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you start doubting yourself. You're like, how, how yeah. is this possible? That's um, right. yeah, th- those are, you know, some of my my best and worst memories uh, and and experiences when you like, you know, you wake up at 8 a.m. right before a board meeting or a big this, you know, big meeting, and suddenly that you know the report is completely off and you're like, what just happened? How That's am I right. gonna figure out how many who's you know who's responsible for this? There's like, I mean the other funny thing about or not funny, maybe sad, but the other thing about data today, it involves so many different people. If you think about how so many, many people cooks are involved,
0: in the kitchen. Oh.
1: Exactly. Right? There's like engineering, product manager, the data engineer, the data yeah. scientist, the data yeah. analyst, the consumer, maybe like the marketing analyst. There's like at at the very, you know, the, the best case, there's between five mm-hmm. to seven people um, mm-hmm. who are responsible for that. So when, you know, um, when things sort of, you know, break, there's just figuring out who's responsible, that alone can take you so much time. Oh, um,
0: absolutely. Like last, even last touch, you know, the, I mean, right. if you think about it now, um, you're in the complexity of reports now, you know, before it was just like, Oh, I got one system. I'm going to report on my ERP or I'm going to report on my MailChimp or whatever you're doing right now. You're like, I'm looking at, I'm combining like seven data sources to get a thing, you know, some number, right. You're mashing up a lot. Oh my God. You know, it's just like one of those. (laughs) I just think about those. Um, I remember I was at a client once and they were doing their monthly reconciliation, on Excel, right? And you're like, okay, if they're a small company, this is like a multi-billion dollar company and they mm-hmm. do a bunch of their reconciliation on Excel. Mm-hmm. And it's like 20 spreadsheets. And then those spreadsheets have like, you know, 10 tabs in them each. And then each tab is relying on some other tab. Yeah. And then there's this like one mega spreadsheet that pulls in the other, you know, 20 spreadsheets. So if there's one error, you it's like untraceable. Exactly. You know, and you're like, oh, yeah. that makes, oh my God this. So, so needed, so needed. My brain's like popping right now, just thinking about like, oh God, where can we put this? So what, what kind of, what kind of clients or what kind of problems are you guys solving right now for clients?
1: Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, the, the sort of the problem that you just mentioned now is actually a, a great one to, to use as an example. I mm. think, um, you know, one thing that we are seeing with our clients is um, similar to how you described it, you know, they, they they were used to a world where they you know um, use an Excel to re- to do financial reconciliation and report report on numbers maybe quarterly right something like that and they, there's probably only one database that you would pull the data from yeah um, but today there's two things that changed one there's way more sources to for that financial reconciliation and two it's no longer just reporting on the numbers once a quarter. They're actually wanting to use the data all the time, yeah. Um, and by everyone in the company. So the number, right. right? Like so, so often our customers say things like, you know, we're working on data democratization, or you know, whatever kind of term to describe the notion of having <laughs> more. Yeah. T- There's lots of terms to it, right? Um. But like, uh, we're ha- we want to have basically every team in the organization be able to use the data, and also be able to know where the data came from and whether yeah. it can be trusted, right? That's right. So we're putting, we're giving them the power of having a report and having data. They also need to know whether it can be trusted, reliable, where it came from, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing is that many companies actually like are building data platforms now to enable that, to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the hard thing about all of these initiatives is that um, it's really like, your data platform is only as good as your data being actually reliable. Right? That's right. Um, and so what ends up happening in cases where you neglect, neglect that is, you know, people use data, but then they find out that there's an issue and they can't trace it. Um, and then they just don't trust the data and they're like, forget it. Let's just resort to like gut-based decision-making,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, I, one CEO told me that he would like walk around the office and like back when we had offices – um and like put, <laughs> put like sticky notes on monitors saying like this number is wrong this report is wrong right oh my god um and and that's just that's just reality right um and so the more you put data in in uh, in sort of more organization or more teams and the more mm-hmm. that they use it for re- in real time um the more you need to like make sure that the data can actually be be accurate and reliable that's right
0: well it's under it's the scrutiny itself right like there's um i remember sitting in a in a meeting and we were delivering like as consultants we were delivering um you know some data to to somebody and i can't remember who i think it was the cmo of a company and he's just Mm -hmm. like looking at some stuff we're giving him some numbers he's like that number's wrong we're like are you sure he's like it's wrong and Mm -hmm. we're like okay so you know they have six cents yeah they have six cents but then we go back and we're like actually it's right (laughs) uh and then we show him. and then he was like Oh shit! Uh, I've been looking at blah 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 without these like two other numbers. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you now. <laughs> like, and that, but it's so interesting because they're used to the number in a certain way. But there's, you know, there's executives where you know you just, you know, those like classic um, presentations where you literally just put a spreadsheet up, and then everyone in the room is technical, and they like spend five minutes looking at the sheet. And then, yes. and then they start talking so you know we were doing one of those once, and there was a guy who was like this number doesn't feel right that number doesn't feel right and this guy's been at the company you know he's a lifer he's been there for like 30 years
1: yeah
0: and we were like hey man this is you know this is what you gave us and he was like you know go check it and then we went back and check it and lo, lo and behold there you know the numbers that we got were like an aggregate of like two other things then one of them wasn't right and then we we're like oh man yeah. this guy knows you know and like but if that person leaves then you're screwed right <laughs> So how exactly. do you like replace that person or how do you not replace them, but how do you like augment that person? So you're not relying on a human to do it.
1: Yeah, how, exactly. And, you know, I, I was, I was exactly in that situation where, you know, I was on the hook to rel to deliver reliable data, um, me and my team. And it was, it was really hard and really frustrating to do that mostly because the solutions were not there um, and, and the tools to enable us were not there. And I think you're right. It's, it's, it's empowering data people to know that so that they can focus on other things that are, you know, more core to their organization, like revenue generating activities, right? You can, you know, there's a very high opportunity cost to be, to be working on these things. I mean, we actually looked into this with some data. You know, there's, there's a bunch of articles on this, but, um, you know, and, and varying from um, sort of HBR to New York Times and, and many different resources that report anywhere between uh-huh. 30 to 80% of data teams or time is spent on data quality fire drills um, all great. the way. Yeah. All the great. way from kind of figuring out that there's a problem to actually resolving it, which takes a lot of time as well.
0: Right. And I guess one other thing, one other question I'm always curious about, and that that's a really good point and kind of a segue into this is that what about, how does your platform affect like non-data users, or I should say maybe like data light users, like companies mm-hmm. now, you know, everyone's kind of a data person these days in some Mm -hmm. way or form, like whether using a spreadsheet or consuming it, but how does your platform, you know, help the folks that are not super like hardcore data or like data elite, if you will?
1: Yeah, I think generally sort of this probably gets at at the sort of the question of collaboration Mm -hmm. um, and something that we think a lot about because as sort of mentioned earlier, when this sort of this problem that we were touching on really, um, you know, addresses so many different personas, uh, you, you know, to your point, from engineers to data engineers, to data analysts, to data scientists, um, to, to, you know, business users who rely on, on business, rely on data to make decisions for, for their sort of line of work or function of work. Um, and we th- spent a lot of time thinking about what is the kind of information and workflow that each of these personas need to have at their fingertips when collaborating this. Um, So it's actually not uncommon to have, you know, for every kind of data incident between 17 to 25 different back and forths on, you know, um, where is this data coming from and uh, where did you get this and when was this last updated and and all that stuff. And um, actually streamlining that process um, is one of the things that we think a lot about and and the collaboration between these different personas. Um, So specifically for folks who are more on the consumer side of data. Um, those who kind of um, uh, not, not so much responsible for pipelines and um, and for the sort of architecture, but more on the, you know, um, how do I uh, generate a report to, to make a decision based on, I mm-hmm. think they, the questions that those folks tend to ask themselves are, are still questions of um, when was this last updated? When, where did this come from? What is, what data is important, right? Like what, what table can I actually use for my analysis? Is it table that's uh, you know ARR V one, ARR V two, ARR V final? Use this, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, which of those ARR tables is the right one to use? Um, I, I remember we had this like uh, you know when, when um, you know when I was sort of leading the data team, we we had this like methodology that evolved over time. Like we would do final final v1 then we do final v1 star 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 and and you know final v1 star dash and all these different you know ways to to um annotate what people in the organization should use and um that's just you know it's a it's it's a pretty basic example but it's one that just plagues data teams and um and honestly like we, we should we should be doing better and and one of the ways in which um we address that in our platform is through this feature called key assets um, mm-hmm. we basically our assumption is the data should tell you which data is important. What do I mean by that? If you have those five different tables, V one, V two, all the way to five, probably one of them is being queried more often by specific <sighs> users. That's right. That's right. Right. And so if I know that the marketing analyst has been querying this table for the last you know X months, more likely that that one is more important than this other table that nobody has been updating, nobody has been querying. Right. Um, and so we actually look at a set of different variables to understand and to actually like score your assets and tell you, these are the top reports or these are the top tables. Um, and here are the tables that actually don't matter that maybe you should be deprecating. Um, and so I, I think there's right. a lot more in the data and the metadata that that we need to rely on.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. And it's the fact that like, um, even just being able to measure that is already huge,
1: right? Exactly. We we couldn't have done that not too long ago. So yeah, yeah it's
0: true. It's true. And how do you, um, you know, getting a little more technical, but like, how do you implement a product like this? Like, what 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 are the steps to getting your to getting Monte Carlo into um, into a business?
1: Yeah. So um, our our platform is. Um, uh, kind of what we call end-to-end data observability platform. So we basically connect to, um, to, to your data stack, including sort of data lake, data warehouse, CTL, BI. Um, and, you know, we, we actually invested a lot um, on the integration on our end to make it easy for, for our customers. Maybe going back to the very beginning of this conversation of being customer success-centric and customer-focused, yeah. Um one of the things that were really important to me in starting the company and to my co-founder and CTO was that um, it's actually really hard to be on the data team right now because there are so many um, new systems that you need to integrate all the time, right? You, there, there's one thing that's constant is that you are always upgrading your infrastructure. Yeah. You're always moving to a new data warehouse. You're always moving to, you know, you're, you're redoing your pipelines. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you know, ch- checking out. You know, your your um, finance team wants to use Tableau, but marketing really, really likes Looker. Um, and then, you know, your data engineers wants to, you know, um, move from Redshift to BigQuery or Snowflake. Um, and there, there's just this plethora of options, and and you have to figure out and navigate your way. And so, actually, as a data team, you are investing a lot in. Um, moving from platform to platform. And so one of the most important decisions that we made as a company earlier on is to really minimize the effort on that end. And so our platform actually works with your existing tech stack. You don't need to migrate off of anything in order to work with us. Um, Data never leaves your environment and stays in your your environment. Um, Mm -hmm. We make the integration, you know, as, as sort of as much of the heavy lifting on our end as possible. Um, and that's been sort of really core part of, of our product. So actually a good example of how we, um, you know, how, how critical customer success is for us, even, even in the, the, the data and security architecture of, of our product.
0: No, that makes so much, that makes sense. And it's, that's great. Like, is it, is it just like a cloud, a cloud monitoring app that you kind of, you hook in and then you just kind of um, let it go? Or is there a lot of implementation involved? in classic, you know, like classic uh, ERP installations where it could be like months of, you know, a consulting team coming in and doing things, or is it, uh, you know, you can get up and running in like hours or days?
1: Yeah, you can actually get get up and running in minutes. Um, wow. So we, yeah, we, um, so we're, we're cloud native as a company, we're cloud-born as a company. Um, uh, we work with a, with a variety of, of cloud solutions. Um, and you know we, uh, as men like made integration um, quite easy, and um, we do the heavy lifting on our end. Meaning, sort of, I talked about so sort of those five observability pillars. Um, we have actually yep. like machine learning um, models that we run to basically learn your data, infer what your data should look like, um, oh, wow. and help you understand that. Um, we, there's obviously you know the ability to also sort of add um, you know things sort of manual rules on top of that because. We, you know, we will never understand your business as much as you do, and we don't intend to. Um, our intention is to make it as easy as possible for you so that, you know, I believe that, like, there's sort of the 80-20 rule here where we can certainly lean into automation here and, um, you know, automate a large percentage of things and free you up to focus on the things that only you know and only that, um, you know, that where, where you can truly sort of um, add value. Right. Um, There's always going to have
0: to be custom, right?
1: Exactly. There's always going to be that. But the, the initial setup um, is, is incredibly fast. Actually, one of our company values um, is called measure in minutes. Um, and sort of our, our thinking around that is, you know, as sort of an early stage startup, um, you know, time is sort of of essence. Um, but also for our customers, um, we need to be very respectful of their time. And we want to make sure that every moment that we have with them is both valuable and delightful and they're busy people Mm -hmm. and we want to make their lives easier, not harder. And so, um, our our integration is, is very automated and we invest a lot of engineering resources on our end to make that incredibly easy for our customers.
0: No, that makes sense. And that's, that's such a great thought because I mean, who wants to spend, you know, X dollars on a platform, but then another Y dollars on implementation time, right? Like whether it's through, you know, your own professional services team or like internal, like, a lot of folks just want stuff to work.
1: Exactly. You know, and it's not, and now or yesterday. That's right. Know?
0: That's right. That's right. Oh, man. And that that's awesome. That's, uh, well, it's a very customer centric view. I mean, kind of going back to, to customer centric, but, you know, thinking about not just your product, but like how people are using your product and how, um, you know, how you're helping them outside the value of the product itself. I mean, like, you know, just kind of, you pulling out the idea of measured minutes. It's getting people and being wary of, uh, you know, their time. is just getting people to to that point where they're able to use your product without a lot of intervention from yourself, right? So product-led growth, which is super, uh, super needed these days and especially like highly technical uh, products.
1: Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's that's definitely where the world is going. And, you know, we're, I think um, we're just, you know, I, I I, again, it's, it's funny, like coming full circle, I think this is one of those things that are going to be table stakes where software has to be mm-hmm. easy to implement. It has to do, um, you know, the, the sort of, um, I don't like the word vendor, but like the partner has to be, you know, um, uh, truly partnering with you to help you see value, right? Um, I, I think that's the way that we, that companies work together has changed dramatically, um, and it, it was it was kind of okay in the past for you know the product not to work or um, you know for, for there to be like a very long time to value and I think we're going to see that shorten and we're, we're already seeing it um, shorten, but um, I think that's that's one of the core tenets of customer success um, making sure that that time to value and, and NPS and all that good stuff um, and, and that's reflected in onboarding it's basically the you know, one of the very first times that your your customers are engaging with your product, and so you have to think of like rolling out the red carpet for them. That's um, right, right. And uh, your and and that includes every part, every function of your business. Your marketing, but sales, but also product and customer success. Um, they're they're all huge, uh, all huge part of that. And and we're very deliberate about that and how we work at um, in Monte Carlo, um, very much align on that. And um, you know, every sort of function is really. Um, uh, ha- has that in mind. Um, and uh, you know I, I, I think one of the, the cool things is that there's sort of the the new category here, right? There's kind of the, the concept of sort of data downtime and data observability mm-hmm. are things that,, um, you know, I think I think are new in the data space. Um, but I think Absolutely. in a few years from now, we're gonna be looking back, and we're like, yeah, of course, you know this. this yeah, happens. how do we <laughs> well, not have that's,
0: that? Uh, I hope you're that that leader. I mean, it sounds like you know you guys are off to to a really good start, and it sounds like really interesting space to be in. And I mean, as the data world matures, I mean, there's more more and more products that and services that need to you know be measuring what you're measuring, and you know who knows what the next problem is. But this thing is gonna be. I think it's going to be everywhere. Like everyone's going to need it. Right. So I think you're, you're in a pretty, pretty sweet spot right now. So I know we're, we're coming up a bit on time, but uh, I'd love to know like, what, what's, what's the future hold for Monte Carlo? What do you guys, uh, what are you guys aiming for?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our mission is to, um, you know, accelerate the adoption of data worldwide um, by eliminating data downtime. And I think, I wholly agree with what you said. I think every single company in the world is turning into a data company. First, it turned into a software company. Now it's turning into a data company. Um, everybody's running their applications uh-huh. on data and everybody's making decisions based on data. Um, and so we think that, you know, in the same way that sort of every engineering team has something like, you know, New Relic or Dynamics to manage their applications uptime, uh-huh every company will need something like Monte Carlo or Monte Carlo um, to manage the, the, the uptime of their data. Um, That's our vision. And, and we're super excited, you know, to focus on the things that, um, you know, propel us forward to there, whether that's, um, you know, working with our amazing customers and partners who they are really, they are the real pioneers of this category. Um, You know, they're, they're building data reliability teams and, Mm -hmm. Um, you know they're measuring data downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know they truly are the the pioneers here. and like par- partnering with them, um, and and yeah, continuing to to pursue that that mission and living in a world where you know you you no longer wake up in the middle of the night sweating because you know <laughs> you, you didn't know that report is going to be up to date tomorrow morning, right? <laughs> that's right.
0: Oh my god, so true, so true. No, and that's that's amazing. Uh, the mission statement makes sense. It it resonates. I mean. I mean, I hope one day and, you know, this is the day in the future where this is, this is table stakes, right? This is mm-hmm. like a normal thing, like server monitoring. Exactly. You know? It's It just, you just have to have it. Like there's no other way around it. So I, I think that, you know, that that's where everything is going to be going or should be going. I mean, the more data means the more reporting and the more usage of it. So you're going to need to have that, that there. And that makes sense. And you know, thank you so much, uh, Bar, for that. This was really awesome to kind of get to know you and to get to know uh, a little bit about your company and like what you guys are trying to do. I think you guys are onto something—something something pretty special here. So, when you're uh, when you have your big billion-dollar exit, just remember us and uh, come back on and, and tell us what's next. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so much. That's very kind of you to say. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for taking the time.
0: No worries. And if people need to reach out to you, I'm sure they can find you on, uh, on LinkedIn and maybe on, uh, on your site.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You can email me directly bar at Monte Carlo data.com. Um, go to our website or look me up bar Moses on LinkedIn. I love connecting with data people and chatting about all things data. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, one of the best things in, in my job. So, uh, would love to hear from folks.
0: Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on and thanks everyone for listening. And we'll get back to you uh, next week. As promised, the data downtime jingle from the HubSpot team. When you are busy,
1: people making you dizzy, better watch out for data downtime.